What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective, the show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie. I am your host, Eduardo, and if you are listening to the show, you're probably a few days past Thanksgiving, um, but we are recording this actually a few days before Thanksgiving, and we'll be taking a week off here in the meantime to get through the holidays. But since it is time of giving thanks, we wanted to say thank you to the listeners for listening to this podcast. We really appreciate everything that you've done um, as far as giving us your support. And we hope you'll continue to ride out this journey with us as we continue to go through the MCU and then see what comes after that long journey. I also wanted to give thanks to the, the boys on this podcast who have been with me this whole time. Thanks, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. They'll show their voices in a second. Um, but today, we're talking all things Guardians of the Galaxy Two, and I have assembled a cantankerous comical crew to talk with me about this show. First, Peach Man himself with Peaches of Steel. It's it's Peaches. What's up, man? <laughs> you didn't you didn't know it, but I've got several workout videos from the early nineties uh, <laughs> on VHS. If you guys have a the appropriate playing device playback device <laughs> we also have uh anti-doxer himself the sound lord that's me Chris, what's up <laughs> uh just uh keeping my personal business my own business Ooh. <laughs> and we also have the man who wrote not one but two sets of show notes this week it's robbie, <laughs> robbie what's up buddy yeah i'm ahead um a couple things yeah. i wanted to say first uh, for all of the uh, uh, smugglers working for Hondo and Naka who promised me they would be listening to this episode, how's it going, guys? And if I don't hear from any of them, then they lied and I'm angry. Um, and also, I just need to tell all of you, I have been looking forward to this episode since we began uh, this idea, and I already hate all of you. Robbie, uh, uh, you hate you, two of them. You, <laughs> you announcing that you would hate your coworkers at the beginning of the episode means they only have to listen to the beginning of the episode. No, well, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> oh, leave! No, no, no. Wait for the end of the episode and leave a secret message. And the only oh. way you know that they've really listened is if you tell them the secret message at the end of the episode. No, no, no. The secret message has to be in get... the middle of the mo- of the episode. Oh, oh good point. So they don't actually. We won't even know where the secret message will be. It'll be at some random point guess you'll have to keep listening to find out Ooh. and it's definitely not oobly boobly <laughs> <laughs> secret uh, but like i said uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like i said we are going to talk all about guardians of the galaxy 2 and chris is going to lead us through some historical context for this episode so yes, I'm ready to share a little bit of history uh with you about this so guardians of the galaxy volume 2 Brought back the same creative team as the original. And by creative team, I mean James Gunn wrote and directed it again. It's great. Uh, It was very exciting. Um, One thing that he did in this movie, he introduced actually the original Guardians of the Galaxy. I believe we talked on the previous Guardians episode that the lineup in the movies is not the same as the original lineup from the comics. Uh, But those characters who are part of that original, uh, original team did appear in this film 
So Yondu Odonta, of course, was in the first movie. He was one of the original uh, Guardians, but also Stakar Agord, uh, also known as Starhawk, also known as Sylvester Stallone <laughs> in this movie. Uh, Martinex Tanaga, who is, I believe, the weird glass-looking diamond person in the uh, in the film. Yes, who uh, is Crystal with... Face. Yes, yeah, uh, who was played by Michael Rosenbaum, who you might remember as uh, the Flash in the Justice League cartoon, or Lex Luthor on Smallville. Oh, yeah. Oh, where has he been? <laughs> Crystal Face. Yeah. yeah, you're right, you're right. Ving Rames, a.k.a. Cobra Bubbles from Lilo and Stitch, a.k.a. the Arby's commercial guy, uh, appears as Captain Charlie 27, and uh, Michelle Yeoh appeared as Alita Agord, who was also briefly known as Starhawk. Wait, they found a middle-aged Asian woman for a role? <laughs> um <laughs> Yes, they did. Yes, they did. <laughs> Wait, I had to look up her age. We established that last week. <laughs> I, had to, I had to look up her age before I agreed, but she is indeed fifty-seven. Uh, right in the middle. Uh, I'm oh, fifty-seven. Was I'm not old. About. And then uh, there was no, not Martin X. Uh, Krugar, who uh, I think was the weird lobster-looking guy. And then, of course, Mainframe, who was the robot head, who was voiced by an uncredited Miley Cyrus. Wait, what? No way! I'm sorry, what? Yep. No way! Miley Cyrus is one of the OG Guardians of the Galaxy, baby. That's awesome. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. That was the most important thing you need to know. Uh, the other important thing you need to know is that this movie introduces Ego the Living Planet as Jason, or not, excuse me, not as Jason, as Peter Quill's father. Now, Peter Quill's father in the comics we mentioned, I think, uh, was Jason of Spartax, or excuse me, it's Jason because he's an alien and it has to be pronounced weird. Um, <laughs> but James Gunn didn't care about that, and his original plan was... We're going to have Ego the Living Planet be his father. And that's something he wanted to play with down the line. And Marvel said, great. Marvel did not tell James Gunn that Marvel Studios did not have the rights to use Ego in film. Now, I don't I don't know why this is the case, because Ego was introduced in the Mighty Thor number 132. But apparently he was uh, uh, tied up with the Fantastic Four package with Fox weird so james gunn realized oh gosh what if i can't uh, he didn't have a backup plan so marvel did a little wheeling and dealing because fox not part of disney at this point was making a little movie called deadpool and they wanted to use the character negasonic teenage warhead now negasonic teenage warhead in the movie has all these explody powers as you might expect from someone with that name in the comics she did not have that power and Fox needed permission to make that big of a change to a character. So Marvel said, okay, you can do that if you give us back Ego the Living Planet. And Fox said, okay. And that's how we got Ego in this movie. He's weird. That Why would you a, use such him? such a weird series of events. Right. And it's almost like when they were making Fantastic Four decisions, if that's what the package was about, they were like, okay, what 
things exist that no one will care if we claim rights to so right. that they don't say no. Right. Apparently he was a major character later on in some Silver Surfer series, so I'm thinking that's probably... Yeah, yeah I think of him yeah. with Silver Surfer. Were any draft picks um, a part of that trade? No, no draft picks. <laughs> um, no Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, no Notre Dame or Olympic highlights. Uh. Yeah, but what if, like, say, the New England Patriots and the Dallas Cowboys were making trades, right? And then the Patriots got so fed up. No, I don't want with, this trade. I want the Patriots got trade. so fed up with the lack of trades coming from the Dallas Cowboys that the Patriots just bought the Dallas Cowboys, and now they're all the same team. <laughs> no, actually, maybe. Maybe I do want this trade. Yeah. <laughs> Truly America's team. No, they're, Does they're, this trade get rid of Jason Garrett and replace him with Bill Belichick? Yes, but now they're just I mean, the New England Patriots. The Dallas Cowboys no longer exist. Well, you gotta make another. So you're team saying I don't have pain now. and misery anymore. That's what you're saying. Yes, but you, you do get Patriots to stream fan. all thirty uh, seasons of The Simpsons. Ooh. So I mean, you take I mean, the good I'm one, the bad. Am I right? Drawbacks, like you've removed the <laughs> single biggest source of suffering in my life. Unfortunately, The Simpsons is not in its original aspect ratio, so you're gonna miss half the jokes. But it comes. Uh, with I don't it. get it. The beer's just coming from one pipe. But it comes with a free Frogert. <laughs> the Frogert is also cursed. <laughs> Can we go now? Yes, let's okay. get started with the uh, the synopsis of the movie. So, 1980, Meredith Quill is courted by a man who shows her an alien seedling he had planted in the woods of Missouri. Uh, we get the first, we get the Guardians um, Awesome Mix Volume 2. Robbie has been kind enough to put in all of the songs. Brandy, uh, Looking Glass, first song. I'm going to say right now, maybe this will be the first controversial opinion. Awesome Mix Volume 1, way better than Volume 2. Agreed. I agree, and yet will have strong feelings that you will disagree with going forward about that point. Hmm. No, I agree with you. I think certain songs are good in this one, but I think as a whole, I like the collection of Awesome Mix Volume 1 versus Volume 2. I have to keep expanding on that point to myself because it is key later on. Okay, Cryptic I'll, Man. I'll, I'll keep my mouth shut because I think what I was going to say is probably similar to what he's setting up for later. So I, I don't want to rain on his parade. But I like that you said that. Thank you. Also, <laughs> I mentioned this off the air. I literally... Uh, no, cut this, Chris. I'm not saying that. Ah, nope. I'm going to leave, leave you hanging. Don't make him do work. Are you always telling me what to do? Yeah. <laughs> Did you not listen to yeah, the after Chris. credits thing last week? Chris, don't let go. him tell you what to do. Let me tell you what to do. Chris, when you listen to this recording once again, do a circle and then hop on one leg three times. When I listen to this recording once again, I'm going to be muttering curses under my breath. <laughs> Why are they going to be under your breath? We're not going to be there to, to hear them. Why don't you just say them out loud? Because it's curses, more fun It's more fun to go, Rizzer, fresher, 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 fresher. <laughs> Oh, I thought you were literally going to be muttering curses. Yeah, I thought uh, you I'm, meant like the worst. Like I'm, I'm more of a muttly than a dick dastardly. <laughs> yeah, so. I'd rather uh, murmur a couple hexes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my probability's all off. <laughs> 34 years later, the Guardians of the Galaxy, Peter, Star-Lord Quill, <laughs> Gamora, Drax the Destroyer, Rocket Raccoon. Oh, I wanted to say are... something about the first scene. Two things, Sorry. <laughs> One, young Kurt Russell. Two, Dairy Queen. Okay, continue. No, the young Kurt Russell is convincing. One of those things still exists. Dairy Queens are still out there. Yeah, no. They had a tie-in blizzard. 
with this movie that was uh it was brookie pieces you know uh, brownie cookies yeah and it was great and i miss it every day eduardo loves blizzard (laughs) he's a blizzard (laughs) fanboy did you get a did you get a brookie blizzard I did not. I got uh, several of them. I'm not going to lie. I don't think I went to Dairy Queen as much in my life or have either before or since than I did when Guardians of the Galaxy 2 was in theaters. So do you think he's the only person that has ever planted a seed behind Dairy Queen? Oh, my. No. <laughs> okay, now go ahead. <laughs> I just had to stop everybody in their tracks for oh, you. Oh, boy. Uh, so we, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, as well as, um, so we got... Quill, Gamora, Drax, Rocket, and little baby Groot. All right, we're going to go off topic one more time. Who's cuter, baby Groot or baby Yoda? Baby Yoda. Which one? Baby Baby Yoda? Yoda. I love baby Groot, but... Despite everything I'm about to say, baby Groot annoys me. Wait, so why are we calling him baby Yoda? Because I thought we've established he's not Yoda. Okay, what species is he, Peaches? I don't know. Exactly. No one knows because the species doesn't have a name. So the best so, thing you can do is call him baby. You want to call him baby alien? No, I just wanted clarification on that. I it's, just wanted to make you, sure. It's, if it's, you didn't know what humans were and you only knew me, you would call Chris like little Robbie. Why would you? Is he taller than you? Than you? <laughs> well, you're younger. Maybe I would call you I guess little Chris. Established that is irrelevant last week. Yeah. Maybe I call you little John. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Get it out fast enough. <laughs> Combo. <laughs> nice one, Eduardo. Wi Fi. <laughs> Can't wait for this three hour episode. I'm so excited. Yeah. We're going to beat Doctor Strange, damn it. Okay, so the Guardians are paid to defend uh, Analax batteries from the interdimensional monster for Carbulary batteries. No, they aren't. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Did you not watch that? No, that's my favorite running. Well, it's not quite a running joke. It, it lasts for a few scenes, but where they, where Drax says, what are they called again? And he says, Amulax battery. He goes, Harbulary batteries. That's not what I just said. <laughs> and then, I'll like, touch a few on that in a second. Okay. Well, then a few scenes later, we get the whole... Where he says, you stole Amulax batteries. They're called Harbulary batteries. No, they're not! <laughs> It's great and hilarious. Drax is wonderful in this movie. Don't you think so, Robbie? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Continue. So, while Baby Groot dances, Drax allows himself to be eaten by the monster, ignoring advice that skin is just as thick on the inside as it is on the outside. Gamora manages to kill the monster by cutting open its neck, also freeing Drax. They ask why he doesn't want to wear, like, a armor plate, and he says it because it chafes his nipples. And I have a problem with Drax in this movie. I am sorry, Chris. I am sorry, oh, Robbie. Right off the bat. All of the things you guys, because this is the part that set me off on this, is the whole chafe nipples thing. Because... <laughs> a little close to home? <laughs> <laughs> okay, a little bit. Um, <laughs> when did Drax go from being a species that had a very particular, he doesn't understand metaphor, to then being just a complete idiot. When they realized like, that people wh- thought he was hilarious and they needed well, to give the people more. Uh, yeah, but is it, is it though? Is it that funny for his character to do? My, my feeling, I think he is so much more funny when he's not trying to be funny. I think the second they try to force the funny down my throat, it stops being funny. And I was tired of him. I was tired. I was like, why wouldn't he just listen to what he said? Like, 
Drax has never been like, oh, I just don't listen to what people say and say other things. Like, what was not ex- like, it's just not part of the character. And it, I, I understand that they're taking the character in a different direction in this movie. I just don't like the direction they're going in. So, yeah, it's weird. It's off character to me too. And I can and relate. I find that. Well, Dra- and let me let me just continue here. Drax is a ser- is, is is part of a series of problems that I have with this movie, and a lot of them stem with everyone is trying to outfunny each other the entire movie. Every single step of this movie is somebody trying to outquip another person to try to outfunny this person, and if everyone is trying to be funny, no one's being funny. That's like this podcast. See, if all of you are trying to be funny. <laughs> It doesn't work because I'm the funniest one here. And so if you guys are funny... The funniest joke of them all. (laughs) It doesn't really make any sense. The whole point is, if everyone's funny, it's not as funny. Which is why Ronan was like a necessity in the first movie and why Drax was as a necessity. And the serious moments we had were necessities because it, 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 it comedy is used to alleviate the tension. I understand this movie is supposed to be more of a comedy, but it just doesn't... I don't know, man. It doesn't make the complete package that I thought the first movie was. So, let me let me piggyback off of Eduardo so that the same camps are going <laughs> and then the other camps can go. Just real quick. Because <laughs> I want to just rewind a second and say, like, I'm I like 99% agree with like Drax being way out of character in this movie. But the reason it's 99 is because he does have a couple lines here and there that remind me of the Drax that we, how was established specifically the very first one, the Harbulary batteries. Like he's not trying to make a joke. He just literally heard Peter completely incorrectly. And then is like, ah, Harbulary batteries. Yeah. It's and akin to the, like, I wasn't listening. I was thinking of something yeah, else. <laughs> exactly. Like that feels like Drax to me, but yeah, I, I think that he, it's almost like they, they took the, the, the general response, general response, from the first movie of how everybody liked how funny it was. And they were like, okay, what characters can we use to really up the ante instead of doing the same thing in a fresh way again? And they didn't really change most of the other characters as far as the way they act. They just like threw it all, like they put all their chips on Drax and they're like, all right, all he's going to do this whole movie is make jokes He's not going to do anything important. He's not going to do anything that advances the plot. He's just going to joke for an entire movie. Okay. He does get that he does get that one scene with Mantis, which is a very good scene, but it's one out of a hundred other I'm, I'm being hyper, I'm being hyperbolic. <laughs> I'm being hyperbolic. He's not useless in the whole movie. I'm saying he's useless in most of them. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let me first let me first say what is basically going to be the theme of this episode, which is I agree, but cause I actually do agree. Um, I can relate to it. Um, it, it literally the first time I watched it made me think of Lord of the Rings. And I don't know if any of you guys are Lord of the Rings nerds like me. I don't think so, but somewhere as they were filming Lord of the Rings, Gimli stopped being Gimli, the dwarf stopped being a heroic character and he did have heroic moments, but just became comic to the point of absurd and everyone that wasn't a big lord of the rings nerd i remember thought ha 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 look at gimli he's hilarious whereas i was i loved those movies but i was kind of annoyed that this character was like falling in puddles and coming out and killing people and and just it, it ended up being weird and drax made me think of gimli and so i actually agree with you guys where they took the character and they made him just a little bit too much of a comic relief and that is 
100% probably the biggest drawback of the movie to me is Drax. I completely agree with you guys on it. It's just it doesn't impact much. Where I disagree with is I disagree with Drax not actually having anything significant in this film because I think he has hugely significant things and I know that Chris has some stuff uh, but they kept a lot of his character from the old film they just then also had some stupid stuff um, but one thing I think is wonderful from Daxon's film is the scene that has the the penis joke which I, I, I don't love the penis joke <laughs> but I actually really love that scene and it did not if we had filmed this immediately after this movie came out, I would have just been with you guys piling on Chris and he would have had a bad time. And I have come to love Drax in this movie because moments on rewatching have ended up meaning a lot to me, like the penis joke scene. But what it is about that scene is Drax has no shame and is calling people out for feeling shame over things they really shouldn't. And I find that to be, there's a lot of depth to me in that what's played for laughs, but is this, Drax doesn't have these hangups that, when you really think about it, don't make a lot of sense. And him calling out the characters for that, I actually think is really, really cool um, and very important. And also... Also, his delivery of, if he's a planet, how can he make a baby with your mother? It would smush her, <laughs> is brilliant. Well, see, but that's that's like classic smush. That's like classic Drax. So yes, that I is agree. him taking something literally, and that's funny. But him saying, I have the biggest turds... Yeah, a little, yeah, bit, like, little bit on the yeah, other I side. Have I have turds. famously huge and turds. Right, like what? <laughs> Famous <laughs> how? <laughs> what? I think that fits with Who the about thing. It's just it doesn't mean I want to hear it. Um, <laughs> because I have shame. Such... I have shame. I'm not <laughs> as advanced as Drax. I thought you were going to say I have famously huge turds. <laughs> you know the pain. <laughs> I am not going down that You're, road. You, um, you, you, you blasted <laughs> pizza after eating... <laughs> that's that's a joke that's going to be out of date by the time this episode comes out another great drax moment that i think is absolutely wonderful is and i wonder if anyone thinks about this the way i did but when he tells nebula that they are a family you think about who drax is you think about the fact that he means things literally family as someone is going to discuss this show is so central to this film and when drax says we are a family. Drax does not mean it in the way of, you know, we're close, we get along. Drax literally means we are a family because he is literal. This is his family. They are family. That ends up being super important in this film. I think it's really important that Drax has that line. Um, Drax's interactions with Mantis, um, his his uh, support of Mantis in the in the, the the final scene, his saving Mantis. Um Drax is probably the least important of the Guardians in this film, but I, and and I do think the humor is the weak link in what is spoiler almost a perfect film, um, but I, I I I completely disagree that Drax doesn't do anything that he's necessarily not having important moments to the film. Chris, please back me up. I was going to say <clears throat> to piggyback off of what you said about the family thing. It's significant for him to say that, not just because of the him taking things literally, but do you remember his motivation to even join the Guardians is because he lost his family. And for him to have found this new family and for him to just simply state it, it's really, you know, I think that's really, really strong. I agree. And uh, I like, I like Funny Drax. I, I mean, 
most of the quotes that I wrote down in my notes were actually uh, Drax quotes. Um, <laughs> you look exactly um, alike. One's blue. <laughs> and he points at and he points at Peter. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, I didn't mind and because I think that that is, and it's a. Uh, uh, I think what they're trying to get across is that now that he has been with these people that with his new family he's trying out metaphor he's trying out you know expanding his personality a bit because he's gotten a little bit of closure now that they've defeated ronin and now he has a new purpose that's not just i'm drax the destroyer and i will get my vengeance now he's like i have a family and uh, because i mean he called them his friends in the first movie and that was a big moment and now he's calling them his family and i think that's big too so the fact that he's found this new family, it is kind of revitalized his life. And now he, he speaks of his wife. He speaks of his daughter. And when he tells Peter about how he met his wife and how she was the only one not dancing and how much he loved that. Yeah, it's silly, but it's also him talking about his, 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 real, his, his actual family and not being depressed about it. It's him having gotten a bit of closure and been able to move on from just being the sullen Drax who is single-minded and angry because of what he's Please lost. put in audio of so vigorous I, I think head nods sense. here. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Vigorous. People can't see oh, okay. me vigorously yeah. nodding my head. They have to hear it. Is it time for the rebuttal? No, if we rebut everything, we're not moving forward in this, this episode. This was the rebuttal. <laughs> I have, no, but I need to, re I need to make ahead. one specific point. Okay. It needs to rebut. Yeah. One thing that I don't like that you guys seem to really enjoy is the family line, because I think it's so cheesy and not wealth. It's just like a, like, take any movie about a team and be like, we're not just friends. We're family. And, like, you have the ending to a thousand different... It's not creative at all. And I get that you can think about it a little more and be like, well, Drax, because, you know, metaphors and all. Fast but it's and literally Furious? Fast and Furious? <laughs> we're talking about... I That's what Andrew said. said family. I said it was poignant. Yeah. <laughs> hey, make sure you turn your phones off, everyone. <laughs> That's a deep cut. Yeah. I guess that's, uh, that's my point, is that it just isn't, like, it... You... you Listen, this is not the last time we're going to talk about this because another one of my central points goes back to Drax 2. So I'm not going to rebut because I'm going to talk about him later. He's going to have like in the title wherever sequence you, and I already want to spit fire. Yeah. <laughs> do you have, can you, do you have that ability? So oh, the Guardians meet with Aisha, <laughs> leader of the Sovereign, a genetically perfected race to collect their reward, Nebula. Whom the Sovereign captured, Nebula being Gamora's sister, other daughter of Thanos. Um, as the Guardians fly off with Nebula, Rocket Raccoon reveals he has stolen the Analax batteries for, for himself. No, they're not! <laughs> when the Sovereign dis <laughs> discovers this, they attack the Guardian's ship. Oh, and I'm sorry, I'm going to say a great Drax line here, which is when they can't figure out why, why, he, why they're being chased, and he says... <laughs> Oh, probably because Rocket stole those batteries. <laughs> and Rocket looked at him and says, he goes, right, he didn't steal them. I don't know what they're after. What a mystery this is. <laughs> the delivery of what a mystery this is. Yes. <laughs> that is a good Rocket line. So while flying through an asteroid belt and dodging Sovereign fighters, Rocket and Quill fight over who is a better pilot 
causing damage to the ship. As damage, uh, Milano is surrounded by fighters, a uh, literal deus ex machina in the form of a little guy, according to Rocket, wipes out the entire fleet. Uh, the Milano crash lands on a nearby planet, and the Guardians begin fighting over whose fault it was. We find out that the little guy, the the person who helped them, um, is actually Ego, Quill's father. On the pleasure planet Contraxia, Yandu, which I, I just got I don't that. Ab- you guys not catch I that? Don't ab- <laughs> I just got that for the first time. I don't time. appreciate you skipping over the implied meaning- meaningless sex that Yandu has with a robot hooker. I didn't skip over it. Well, why didn't you put that in the notes? Why did you just I gloss over that? I host thought it was a- infl- in, go ahead and put in the important stuff himself. <laughs> It's very important because it's... Like Yandu did. Think tonally about... <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Think tonally about the MCU and how out of tone this is for the rest of the MCU. Granted, it is a Guardians of the Galaxy movie, and Guardians is already in a different sphere. But think about where the movies have gone, and they have not gone into robot space hookers. In in Guardians 1, they did. I mean, not into specifically robot space yeah, hookers, think... but... Peter Quill had a woman in the bottom of his ship in the opening. And of the in the movie. first ten minutes of the MCU, Tony Stark has meaningless sex with a reporter. That's true too. Peaches, yeah, but is that uh, laugh? <laughs> uh, I can't right now. The pressure is too like to too great. Meaningless sex <laughs> shot is maybe a little bit like more depressing, <laughs> yeah. but it's definitely less crude than uh, if I had a black light, this whole ship would look like a Jackson Pollock painting. And. Yeah. Okay, oh. fair. <laughs> and and also when they're first meeting with the sovereign. She, oh yeah. Okay. First of all, this is this we'll go back to another point that I'm going to Mommy, make what's eventually. the old-fashioned way? He he makes it a point before they meet with the sovereign. Uh Star-Lord does to say these people are really proud, don't make any jokes, like just let me do the talking. These guys are really serious. Then they go into a conversation. She starts talking about how everybody in their entire race is like genetically modified to to be perfect when they're born and whatever and he makes a sex joke to her and <laughs> like, she enjoys it. he's like i'll show you about the old-fashioned way and then yeah like but it's it's weird it's i it's weird humor in that in that sense when he was the one to be like hey be serious with these people i'm gonna be the one making the sex jokes i agree <laughs> and yet anyway um, I'm sorry, I d- I'm going to cut this out, but I have to interrupt because my mother just sent me a picture of a Google map. Oh, you're going to cut that out. A, a, a Google map. <laughs> and I said, what is this? And she goes, Port Jervis. That's near where the accident took place. No, oh my gosh. Uh-huh. She's listening to Dr. Strange right now. Yeah. She goes, I'm listening to the podcast. They mentioned the Delaware River and it didn't occur to you that it wasn't that far from home. Just at North on 611. So. Yandu approaches another group of Ravagers. Their leader berates Yandu, saying he was kicked out of the order for past transgressions, breaking all their hearts. Meanwhile, this is the person yelling at Yandu is Sylvester Stallone, so that's pretty cool. Right. Um, Yandu angrily says he didn't know what he was doing and demands to be included in the Ravagers while the rest leave. Some of Yandu's men behind his back start expressing dissatisfaction in his leadership, while others stand for him. Um, Aisha arrives and hires Yandu to hunt down the Guardians. Back with the Guardians, Ego explains that Yandu was hired to pick up Quill, but kept him 
for himself. Ego asks Quill to come back with him to his home planet. Quill expresses distress, but Gamora talks him into it, saying Quill has always wanted a father figure. Uh, Gamora, Drax, and Quill go with Ego, leaving Rocket to repair the ship and watch over Groot and Nebula. Rocket and Quill exchange bitter words on parting. The Guardians also meet Mantis, Ego's assistant with the ability to detect and share emotions through touch. She also has the ability to create a trance. I really like Mantis in this movie, and I think Mantis takes the place of Drax from movie number one. I think a lot of the character traits that were Drax in the first movie have since been given to Mantis in this movie. She acts in a very similar way to Drax in the first movie. Sure. I, yes. I see that. Yeah. Yeah. Because she has, she doesn't really know people. She's only ever Which known. Which is probably ego. why they pair her with Drax in this movie. Yeah. I think it, it makes sense, but it also amplifies how different Drax in this movie to be like, here's Drax and here's Drax's replacement. Here's new Drax and Drax's replacement. Yeah. Don't you think it would have been kind of cool to have two people that don't really understand people still as partners and they're both like struggling trying to figure out yes. how to. I think Drax still doesn't understand people. I just people. think he mis- doesn't understand people in a different way than he kind of did in the first movie. Nah. It's he kind of is like her mentor for a little bit. It's weird. Hmm. No, share your opinion. Don't just eh. don't just go eh. Yeah. yeah, the the listeners want long periods of silence in between us saying controversial to each other things. I mean, <laughs> mentor feels strong, but I I buy Drax being the one she connects to because Drax is blunt and Drax doesn't skirt around issues and hide them. Drax just says the words and i think that is important for mantis and mantis ends up hearing things that help her um express herself i think and maybe i'm reading too much into it but i always felt like drax sees a bit of his daughter in her yeah that could be true yeah which turns out this episode is 50 percent shit on drax the episode well i mean just want we just, you just keep going back sure he doesn't it. get you back because he is famously huge yeah. turds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Yondu and his men find the Milano but are thwarted by Rocket's traps before he is cornered by Yondu's arrow. We get Southern Knights by Glenn Campbell. Yondu indicates he won't turn in the Guardians out of fear provoking the Nova Corps and asks for the batteries. This angers his crew led by Taserface. who begins to turn on yandi before he can defend himself his arrow control crest is shot off by nebula who convinced groot to set her free to save rocket i wanted to say i meant to say this earlier when uh they're all facing off against um or when ego shows up and they think they have to fight and nebula says set me free i won't attack you and uh Quill says something along the lines of, you'd think an evil supervillain would learn how to lie. And that actually took on a little extra meaning after uh, after Infinity War when we found out Thanos did not oh. teach uh, oh. his daughters how to How lie. does this film fit into the MCU? Uh, that's a that's a good Marvel callback. Yeah. Very sneaky one. Yeah, I never... I, it, I think this is the first time I've watched possibly watch this movie since infinity war so that but that line really stuck out at me this time i was like oh wow yeah thanos uh does not teach them how to lie they're all like gamora's bad at lying 
And Nebula's bad at lying, and that, now we know why. Hmm. Anyway. Honestly, Quill is the only one that really lies out of the group. I guess Rocket Because he's an bit. asshole. <laughs> Glad he's the central figure of this movie. Uh, this movie that you love so much. Uh, so, on his home planet, Ego explains that he is a, uh, a celestial who created a humanoid avatar to travel the galaxy and interact with other species, including Quill's mama. My Sweet Lord by George Harrison plays. Thank Taserface <laughs> imprisons Rocket and... Yondu, Yondu, that's his last name. Aboard I don't the, know why I wrote his last name. <laughs> aboard the Yondu ship. Anaka. And turns Groot into a mascot for the crew. Taserface and the mutineers dump loyal ravagers out of the airlock while Yondu sits catatonic. He's not catatonic, though. I mean, he's, he's, he's kind of... Metaphorical! <laughs> yeah, he's, he's kind of just like... He's just sitting there. He's like staring off into space for a long time. Like, Here's he, what's going on with Yondu at this point. Processing. You know, Yondu is obsessed with prestige. At this point in the film, Yondu, all that matters to Yondu is prestige and money, but is his prestige. He has, at this moment, lost everything that he feels like is important to him, at least immediately to his brain, and is done. Doesn't care anymore. Doesn't care if all his loyal men die. Doesn't care if he loses his ship. Doesn't care what's going on. The Ravagers have... have both the, the Ravagers on his ship and the larger Ravagers organization have all rejected him. He even lost his cool head thingy. Um, so nothing matters to Yondu unless someone can remind Yondu of something that matters to him. Spoiler. <laughs> That's how you remind me of what I really am. <laughs> That's how you remind me of a girl that I once knew. I don't know any other songs about reminding people of things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Nebula is given a ship and vows to find and kill Gamora and Thanos. She explains uh, <laughs> her and Gamora were pitted against each other growing up, with Gamora constantly winning. Each time Gamora won, Thanos would replace a part of her body with machinery, creating her current look. Back on Ego's planet, Quill starts to learn how to harness celestial energy. While Ego explains he has to return frequently to his planet to keep his form alive. Drax begins to befriend Mantis, who explains that the Ego is actually the planet, while Gamora starts to become suspicious of Ego. Right there is another line that, like, I like from Drax. So I will will, uh, give him credit where credit is due where it's one of those things where it starts off sounding like he's insulting her and it's actually something heartfelt where he says that she's ugly and she's like surprised and he's like but that's fine because when you're ugly and people love you they know you know that they really mean it or whatever the actual quote is that is a that is a nice heartfelt line um not necessarily like literally saying you are ugly versus you're beautiful, but just the, the core concept of the whole thing. I don't know. It's heartfelt. Yeah, it's no, a good he, he actually has some insight to share, even if it's, you know, couched in weird Draxishness. He, he's still, you know, he, 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 he still has some sort of inner life that you're starting to see glimpses of that, that he, that he's opening up to her. 
Now, Chris, you can kind of continue on here because you wanted to talk a little bit about this movie being um, on the sincere side. Yeah. Oh, I stole it. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. No, not at all. <laughs> no, it, it works. You, you set me up. Is what See, I... you're starting to agree with us. Uh-huh. <laughs> we'll no, win you to our side. No. Uh, I think that, I mean, this movie we've already talked about uh, to some degree. It is very comedy heavy uh, for some people. It's too comedy heavy, I guess. For other people, it's just the right amount. Uh, but I think that what's, what really makes it work for me, and I know that some people are going to directly disagree with this, uh, but is that underneath the irreverence and the humor, uh, it is one of the most sincere. I think that there is real pain in this story and real love and hope that is underneath all that ridiculousness that I think makes us a deeper movie. And... This scene specifically with Drax and Mantis, it's full of jokes. It, it's a lot of jokes where he he calls her ugly. He uh, but then he follows it up with that about but beautiful people never know who to trust. Uh, and uh, and then he looks out over the uh, over the pond and he says it reminds him of uh, of his home planet and how he used to sit there with his daughter and with his wife. And he just kind of looks out and Mantis that we've established can touch someone and feel their emotions. Uh, she's empathic. So she puts her arm or her hand on his arm and she starts sobbing. And then the camera cuts to Drax and he just gives a little sigh. And I, I, I just, I'm sorry, I love that scene. I think it is a brilliant piece of filmmaking. It is show, don't tell, uh, like to the extreme, where it's Drax doesn't really show his his deepest emotions. He still kind of keeps them inside, but that is just how he is. That's just how his people are. That's how he is. And to see that the equivalent of that small, sad sigh for him is just utter heartbreak in this other person. I just thought that was really effective. It is possibly my favorite scene in the movie. Uh, I I just got goosebumps just talking about it. Uh, it makes me tear up every time I watch it. Um, it's, you know, it, it kills me. I mean, the fact that the, and we'll talk more about, I think this, one of the things I said in here, we'll bring up a little bit more towards the end that the beating heart of this movie is an angry talking raccoon is, you know, just, it's just such a, a, a brilliant mix of high and low, I, I think is really what it is. It's that it's got some low humor. It's comic book action. It's, it's talking trees and raccoons, but it is using it to tell, you know, to actually say something and explore emotion. With, yeah. With, you know, poop jokes sometimes. Yeah, too. exactly that. And I'm the first time I saw this movie, I definitely liked it, but I came away thinking of the humor and it was definitely at that phase. I was starting to think, you know, the MCU is getting too funny and on rewatch I am. And, and at this point, many rewatches, I absolutely find this to be the most sincere and the most heartfelt and um, emotional of all the MCU movies. Like it's not, it's not heavy in the way that like civil war is Oh, the best mm -hmm. friends are fighting. Like it doesn't make me feel that sort of like heaviness. It just, I connect to all these emotions in this film and I, it's just so sincere despite the humor because of exactly what you're saying, because it's exploring 
with with you know space opera weirdos that fit straight out of star wars it's exploring emotions that i completely get um and multiple different arcs of those emotions which is something i'm going to get to but I, I just want like i agree with you on the sincerity of the film that despite the jokes it is the most sincere mcu film you want to go first you want me to go first yeah, i see some shocked faces uh, over there. <laughs> are we are we leading into my point number one that i have written down we, we might as well i it, think it's, it's important well, well i think where that point is is pretty important but you can you can reference it i mean okay if you if you put it in a place that you think is more important then i will You'll hold see. off but I just think that this is one of those scenes that is done well. So I'll agree with you that this specific scene is done well. And that's all I'll say because of my other point. Oh, I, I, I have some stuff I can back continue too. On. I can continue on. I think some of what you're saying is like, I, like I agree with Peaches. I think this is a well done scene, but I think as you know, nice as it is for her to call her ugly and then like, be like, like nice about it and, you know, poetic about it. A couple scenes later in the movie, he starts, you know, miming that he's throwing up because he thinks about fornicating her. Like, that same scene is called back later on, and it, it's a lot worse. And the the, the humor, tr- to me, I think I don't see the balance that you guys see. You guys see this balance that I just, I just don't when I'm watching this movie. I don't see the balance of sincerity to humor. I see humor, and then there's like some sincerity every once in a while, but it's mostly the humor. And I don't, I just don't think that that the the, the sincere scenes that are in this movie have enough gravity. I think even the villain, Ego himself, is you know, the most wise this guy, you know, out there, he's, he's constantly quipping. He's, he wants to be part of the guardians essentially. And you don't really feel him as a villain until you're like, Oh, he did some bad stuff. And even after he did the bad stuff, he's still making jokes and trying to be fun. Like it just, it is, I think it's, it's not, it's not equivocal. I mean, with ego, I would say that he's trying to portray a certain personality because he's trying to appeal to, correct quill and yeah. also Dad's he doesn't see himself as a villain estranged kid yeah and you know it's not until he's revealed to be a villain that we realize he's a villain i mean the law of economy of characters tells you that he's got to be a, a villain but still <laughs> <laughs> my my point is typically movies that have a funny person will have a balancing act with somebody who is not funny or somebody who is a little bit on the more serious side or, you know, just something like that. And this movie doesn't have really that the, you know who the most serious person in this movie is Nebula. Nebula is probably the Ronin of this movie. Mm-hmm. If you were going to call them mm-hmm. one, I agree. She is the most, she's the most serious person in this movie, but I don't think she gets enough interaction with everyone to make that, enough of a enough of a, a sticking point i think there are more if you look gamora. at the first guardian zero yeah let's say gamora gamora's gamora but, the, but they're the two people that are serious and they're together in all the scenes correct well, gets so a lot the with Quill, though too i think to sort of yeah but and gamora also rocket and she gets good scenes with groot she, she also has just as many quips though like she like you, you, you like don't realize it, but she also does. Like they, they, every single one of the guardians is a quip machine. So I don't know what Cheers is. So do you, <laughs> do you need a character to be a hundred percent serious all the time to take yeah, them? 
Thank that's, you, Chris. Well, just what I don't need a character to be 100% serious all the time, but if everyone else is going to be a comedy factory where you have somebody with like a, a wind-up toy and every time they crank out, a new joke comes out of the person's mouth. But I don't see why it's wor- why it's not at least as good, I would argue better, that instead of having serious character, funny character, you have characters with duality that are the seriousness and the humor is within each character rather than spread no, but across that's, the Every that's character the point. gets funny Original, and serious yes, moments. Right. They have No, but that's the point. Original Drax did have duality. He was serious and funny. Just this like Drax he is, here. is 80% funny and 20% Okay, maybe Drax, I think maybe they Drax the could scales maybe Drax too far in one direction. Better, but I don't think it would be better if you just made Drax 100% funny and then Gamora I don't 100% I don't serious. think that's the case either, but I think we are missing that balance in this movie because in my I don't opinion, know how to respond to that. <laughs> in a in another way i think they are tipped in the humor section and we don't have enough to, to, to sort of balance it out i just don't think so that's my opinion i, I just <laughs> feel like i watched a different movie the last 70 times i watched this movie look man i'm sorry but i just don't think the movie i don't find the sincerity that you guys find and i also this might be my most controversial point and I don't think I should have to think about every single scene and think about every single character's motivation to be able to feel the emotion from the scene. I shouldn't have to be like, well, this scene's important because Drax and metaphors, it is family and this and this and this, and that's why the scene is good. Not because the direction and screenplay made me feel a particular way, but because after I sat and thought about it for 30 minutes, it's a lot better I don't now. think there's anything wrong with a I, movie that lays itself out at first glance easily. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But part of why I love this movie is because a lot of this stuff didn't occur to me at first watch. And I have started catching it over time. That's why this movie, which we'll get to. You, you sound like that say, one Rick and Morty copy pasta. <laughs> I gotta say, this might be... That's the most offensive thing you've ever said to me. It. <laughs> I, I this might be the only time I disagree with you on this specific episode, Eduardo. That's other fine. than we don't have the same MVP, but I think that being the host of a podcast that looks at the MCU retrospectively, it should be your job to look at. I don't mean this offensively. No, but that's that's not what I, I said, mean. Like though. we should, I know, but we should be thinking about these movies on these like six planes of existence, but not the first time. Like this is, I'm coming back around. Like the first time I watched this movie, I shouldn't have to think that hard. Even the second time I shouldn't have to think that hard in this case. Cause we're on this podcast. We should think what? hard about it. We, I, I agree that we crying. should. He's not sure why <laughs> I agree that we should think hard, but that's not what I'm saying. What I am okay. saying is that movies are, in my opinion, are best when they elicit emotion. And this movie does not elicit emotion for me until I think about but it for a while. I find that rewarding. Right? And and sure, that might be rewarding for you, for us in a retrospective, but if we're just thinking about it as an experience, as a movie-watching experience, then but there's a problem watching... there. There is a problem with the movie. No, 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 not no, no. Okay, that's that's my... problem. And I'm, back and... I'm back to you, Eduardo, because... Like, 
like Robbie, you said you had to watch this movie like a handful of times before you came around on it. I saw La La Land once, and I was in tears for days. I don't. It didn't take more than one. All have to be the same. I don't think every movie has to be the Avengers, where all the emotions and all the depth you're going to get the first time. A movie that reveals itself upon further inspection, I think is a movie that can and should exist. And I think that's valuable. I don't think every movie has to be, you've watched this movie once and it's out of sight, out of mind. You got everything out of it the first time. I don't think that's how every movie should be. I don't think that that's what I'm saying. What I am saying for this particular movie is that it leaves a lot to be desired in the first watch through and the second watch through and several other watch throughs. The, the difference being, if you watch another movie that has several subplots, it does both. It captures your attention immediately, elicits emotions immediately, and then later on when you rewatch it, your emotions grow because of, one, the emotions you gained at the beginning of your first watch, and second, because of how much was Hold laid on. that you didn't realize in your first watch. And that Hold on, that makes it sound from. like you're saying that I'm thinking this movie wasn't good the first time I saw it. The first time I saw this movie, I thought it was really good. I loved this movie the first time I saw it. No, no, no. Okay. I'm talking about the first time but I saw I think you're incredibly wrong about the movie, so... But you... But no, no, no. What I'm saying is you were yeah. trying to appeal to my argument. You were using my <laughs> argument saying as reinforcement of yours, saying that I have said that the movie got better with, re with successive watches. What I'm saying is it started out good and ended up being literally one of the best movies I've ever watched. Yeah, but that's just wrong. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, Eduardo, you don't know what other movies he's watched. You can't say it's wrong. <laughs> Um, he's clearly never seen Jingle All the Way. So we can just so we can oh, move on no, from this. I'm just going to throw out there Ant that Man. a lot of the things I'm saying I actually did feel the first time I saw this movie. I actually left going, "Wow, that movie was surprisingly emotional." Uh, so clearly, it I hits also different need to give a, different ways. I need to give another disclaimer for this movie. I didn't watch this movie, and I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before. I've talked about it at other points, and I might have already talked about it, but I didn't see this movie until several, several weeks after the movie was out. And I had seen, first off, hundreds and thousands of people at the end of every Marvel movie going, this is the best Marvel movie that's ever been released. And the other part, I had seen I don't remember that hundreds of Mary Poppins memes. I did yes, not stop yes, seeing Mary Poppins mean so that when I finally saw the scene, I was like, this is what we're all happy about, this. And maybe I, I would agree. have reacted better to the scene and maybe I would have been a little bit more positive. But I left that theater so disappointed because I thought I was setting up for this great grand thing. And I was extremely disappointed because how, how hyped it was for me on the internet. I am going to say that I saw the movie, I think, a day or two after it came out. I wasn't in Orlando at this point. And when I was in Orlando, you know, I got to see them the first night. But when I first moved up up north, I didn't really have people to go see the movies with and other whatever. Um, but the point is, I saw it like a day or two after it came out. So I already knew about the Mary Poppins thing. And I was so mad that that got spoiled for me because that would have been a lot of fun. Yeah. I also had Adam Warlock spoiled for me. I agree that I had Mary Poppins overload before yeah. I saw That's it. Sad. But anyway. <laughs> enough arguing yes enough <laughs> no, talk i don't think you. we're done <laughs> <laughs> back to the movie gamora starts to, to talk to quill about her suspicions uh and the two end up arguing with gamora leaving uh bring it on home to me by sam cook plays in captivity rocket and yondu start to learn they have a lot in common though yondu is still fine with his situation at the mention of quill returning to ego yondu suddenly cares about their condition and ask Groot to find his experimental arrow controller. 
this is a funny scene with yes. uh, with baby group bringing all this different stuff. Oh yeah, I like that he he brings all this stuff that he can hold in his hand, and he could definitely stealthily get away with bringing that stuff from the bedroom all the cronies are sleeping in to the jail cell and then he pulls an entire steel desk yes (laughs) how does he get away with that uh the toe is a highlight you don't happen to have a freezer full of severed human toes do you (laughs) then let's never speak of this again but i think my favorite is when he when he hands him the the ravager's crest and then he holds it back up (laughs) and then he starts putting it and the whole bit about hats uh oh good he thought he thought it was a hat. He hates hats. Yeah, you see someone wearing you see someone wearing a hat, you think they have a funny shaped head, then you find out that it's just a hat. Wait, that's why you don't like hats? <laughs> Groot would not like me. Baby Groot would not like no. me at all. No. <laughs> uh so Groot is unsuccessful, but Craglin, guilty over speaking against Yandu and not wanting to have Spawn the mutiny, hands over the controller and leaves to help Yandu rocket and Groot escape. Come a little bit closer by J and the Americans play. Oh, it's my favorite scene of murder. <laughs> that is that is a really, really uh-huh. great scene in the movie. And I don't know. Did you did you put my bonus point three anywhere? No, in the but show you notes? can totally piggyback it off of my point that Eduardo is about to let me do. <laughs> oh, okay. Go I for it. I was gonna let you start talking. <laughs> I figured you just went. Um so First off, let me say that oh, at I'm this just seeing point, that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Chris, this music actually, this song uh-huh. is actually just to me the uh, overlay you did of the Smash Brothers commercial. And that's what I think oh, of yeah. this song now. Despite the fact that, that, that makes this me is happy. one of my favorite scenes ever in a film, and it's not one that required me to rewatch to get there. I loved this uh-huh. scene the first time I yes. saw it about Same. as much as I can love anything that a movie's done. And so I... I said that the whole theme of this this uh, podcast is going to be I agree and yet with um, Eduardo and Peaches. But anyway, I agree and yet with Eduardo and Peaches this whole episode. And so I actually agree that if I put in Awesome Mixtape Volume 1 in my stereo and then I put Awesome Mixtape Volume 2 in my stereo, Volume 1 is a better um, list of songs. You'll have a jammed right. stereo. You can't do that. There's... You only have one slot. Oh, man, you know he's got terrible. one of those five CD changers. Oh, Dude, okay. we're talking cassettes. He's got one on one side and the other one on the other oh, side. What's oh, wrong I'm with sorry. you guys? Sure, there's sorry, a few songs on this. Like, I'm a, I'm a big George Harrison fan, so there's a few songs on this that I like more than some songs in the mm. other movie, but I actually agree with you guys. The other one had a better soundtrack, but this one, I think, does a better job of weaving the songs in the action than the first movie, and, and that's saying a lot because I think the other movie did fine, but there's two particular um Two particular situations of this. The first one is the title sequence, which I cannot stop smiling anytime. And Baby Groot annoys me, but I cannot stop smiling every time I watch the title sequence with Mr. Blue Sky playing and with the action in the background. That song is just so wonderful for that sequence. And also what's wonderful in that sequence, by the way, is how each character has a parenting moment with Baby Groot. That's something that I think is important. Um, uh-huh. each character, like, I like, love especially Gamora. Yes. Hi, like, but just <laughs> I can't. When I rem- vividly remember, this is one of those things that got me the first time I saw this film. I remember watching that, thinking, "Wow, this is good. This is." I remember being like, "What is this? Is this going to advance the plot at all?" And then I decided I didn't care, and I was just thinking, 
this is such a great way to use a popular upbeat pop song in a dangerous action sequence and i love it and how do you top this and then then yondu gets his arrow control back and they topped it and oh my god it's just so good um i'm not and i'm not as versed in music as um lords are um so I don't know if if the lyrics <laughs> of the song actually fit with the scene very well. It feels like they don't. The music just works really well. Um, the scene itself has such great sight gags. Um, the the guy losing his beer and then getting hit. The uh, uh, group uh-huh. going nuts on the dude. Um, the oh ooh not a gag but just a great visual. The part where the arrows going through the dark and hitting people. Um, the the knocking down the ship and dropping it on people. That's my small part part of this argument. Leave that out. It's okay. just, yeah, no, it's visually stunning. But I just and and I don't I don't talk about music the way that Chris and Angela do, and I never will. But I just it affects me the way this song plays through the sequence. It's just so fantastic, and I really want someone who knows more about music than me to explain why it works so well because I just think it works beautifully. Uh, it's it's really well choreographed first of all i mean they have the the arrow moving with the music very well my favorite part of it is when at the very end when the chorus kicks in and it is it's not the original song anymore Mm -hmm. it is actually a newly recorded Mm -hmm. choir singing it with an orchestra and i wish they would release that because Mm -hmm. i love it it's so great and it's the only time they've ever done anything like that with any of the songs in the awesome mix where it's like suddenly it's like, this is new score and that just makes it feel bigger and more important. Uh, yeah. The lyrics don't really, I think have too much to do with it. The, the song is about a guy who goes to a, a cafe in Mexico, falls for one of the girls <laughs> at, at the cafe. And then her boyfriend shows up and there's a fight. It's Copacabana without anyone getting killed. Um, <laughs> but uh, I want to, kind of use that to segue to a song that the lyrics do have something to do with this movie and that's brandy and Mm -hmm. uh i mentioned in the original guardians episode that james gunn is very unusual in that he actually writes the song choices into the script which most most writers won't do that because there's always the the thought of oh no what if we can't get the rights to use the song what if we can't get it cleared uh but he it's very important for him He's like, he picks these songs specifically. And Brandy, I thought was interesting how Ego takes the lyrics of the song. Or it's, the song's about a sailor who meets this girl at, at, at a harbor town and they have a little fling. But then he's like, I have to go because my love is the sea. And Ego twists that and makes it about, you know, we are the sailor and this universe is the sea. This is what we're, we're meant for. And that speaks to Quill at first. But then at the end, Quill starts to sympathize with Brandy because Brandy is representing his mother. And I meant to send you guys, and I might have sent this to you long ago, but uh, there's this article shortly after the movie came out uh, where um, The Hollywood Reporter interviewed the songwriter, um, Elliot Lurie, who wrote Brandy and about its use in the song and he uh, or its use in the film. And he was absolutely thrilled with it. Uh, and he said that uh, he said he had heard. He's not normally the sort of person that watches superhero movies, but he had heard so many good things about Guardians that he uh, he um, 
popped it in and he said he really liked it. And then he got a request to use Brandy in the sequel. And he said, oh, yeah, we have to do that. We have to do that. And then they actually they'd sent the scene descriptions over about how it was going to be used. And he's like, oh, my gosh, they're really like turning it into it. This is part of the story. And what he had said is that the first scene is uh, where where um, Meredith is just singing it in the uh, in the convertible at the top down. He goes, that's what we wrote the song for. He goes, we weren't looking for any deeper meaning. He goes, it was just a story song that we wanted you to sing uh, driving to the beach with the top down. And then uh, he goes, and then later when ego kind of gives it that extra layer of meaning, he's like, wow, you know, that's not even something I had really thought of when I wasn't looking to write a deeper meaning, but they really found that. And he was just like, blown away by how they used the song in the movie. And I thought it was really, really clever how it was used as well. Another one I think works really well. I don't need to to just spend a bunch of time on, but um, uh, in the, in the final fight, um, uh, wham, bam, break the chain. Oh, break the chain. When when the chain plays, I, it it just works very well. Yeah. Fleetwood Mac. Anyway, the rebuttals can rebut. No, I, I have nothing to rebut. I, I well, first of all, I've got some um, some backlogged interruptions that I didn't oh. use because <laughs> I was going to end up interrupting you like four times. So the first one is, um, I'm surprised you know who George Harrison is because he's not in Switchfoot. The second is <laughs> the, the second interruption is, um, why do they bring Baby Groot everywhere? Like it's it's a great first scene, and I'm not complaining about the scene because it's very entertaining. But them bringing Baby Groot to fight a large interdimensional space monster is like people bringing an infant child to Walt Disney World. Why did they bring him? He can't help because Rocket <laughs> is an irresponsible father. Well, they are. They all are. They could put him on the yes. ship. <laughs> Okay, but the thing that I wanted to actually say, and my third like bonus point, is just that this scene reminded me that the Guardians movies, um, both of them, are just so visually stunning. Just watching the arrow and the red trail that it has, like, you know, go through all the areas of the ship and the the shot you mentioned where it's in the dark and it's still lighting up and it's going through people and you can faintly see the people that it's murdering right before it murders them, and then like going around the whole ship while Rocket is shooting through things later. And then Mm -hmm. just all the different other visual effects that are in the movie. Um, When Yondu does eventually die, spoiler alert, um, it's got like the rainbow flames that disintegrate him into pixie dust or whatever. Um, All the different shots of space just being beautiful. Even the, the, the prostitute planet, whatever the hell it's called. Contraxia. (laughs) Yeah. It's like ice Vegas. Like, like everything is snowy, but then there's like, like neon signs everywhere and everything's like glowing and pretty. Doesn't that actually exist in borderlands? That feels like something that's in borderlands. It probably does. But the reason I powered the duck, (laughs) but there's two reasons I wanted to bring this up and it, it go, it does go back to last episode because I think as far as, the movies in the MCU that are visually the most appealing, it is like by far to me, both guardians movies, because they really use their, um, they use color palettes and all, all of the different CGI effects and, and all of this stuff that they do, they, to make it just look like a beautiful, gorgeous picture to watch. And comparing that to what you said last week about Dr. Strange, how you find that to be the most visually appealing Marvel movie. I don't, 
I don't think that it's the same. I think that this is using effects to show something beautiful where Dr. Strange was using effects to show something complicated and puzzly. And so I don't think that that's beautiful in a way. I think that it's cool. I think that it's like something you don't normally see, but I don't think that it's beautiful, especially when you've got these Guardians movies in the mix and you just see what they've done to all the scenes in these movies. You don't I have to strongly like... strongly disagree. I strongly yeah, like, disagree. Yeah. <laughs> very, very, very softly. <laughs> but that's all. That's all I wanted to add. I was going to say the same point, actually. Hey. Um, I was going to say for you know all the negative things I have to say about this movie, there are certain points of this movie where it is almost... It's almost like a painting, not a Jackson Pollock painting, yeah. right? Uh, but it's almost like a painting. There are points where you could stop this movie and it, you know, you could frame that and put it on your wall, right? Like it yeah. just, it is, it's constantly beautiful. I think the first Guardians experimented a lot with color, and this movie took that to another. Like they, they, they shifted into you know high gear yeah. with this one. And this movie really... feels so much more colorful than the first one. The first one's colorful, but this one feels, right. yeah. The one point of disagreement I'll have. And I don't know if this is like a super disagreement. I think specifically in regards to the openings with one and two, I think one uses the song better. I think one, because specifically with the first Guardians, I think it sets the tone so well and introduces you to the Star-Lord character so well that by the time you are done with the opening credits roll, you know what Star-Lord's essentially about, right? Like he, like you kind of get it. Whereas this one, you're like reintroducing and sort of, but it's basically just kind of doing the same thing the first one did. Um, but with the Guardians, which is fine. But I think I think the first one did it a little better. I don't think it's a better scene in general. Like I think because of everything that happens and how much a visual spectacle the the scene in Guardians Two is, the opening scene in Guardians Two is, I think it's better. But I think the use of the song specifically, in my opinion, works better in the first Guardians. I I can see what you're saying there. I I love both scenes. The first one, with it being the introduction to the series, with it being the introduction to Star Lord, um. It definitely, it's like, up it's until that point, weight. you don't know that it's going to be this kind of movie. You right. go into Go- Guardians Volume 2 knowing it's this kind of movie. Correct. And then oh, it's yeah. like, yeah. it's like, oh, this is fun and I like it. I'm so happy to see these characters that I like again. And oh, it's, and it's really fun kind of subverting the big opening action sequence by having it all happening in the background. Um, just while a cute little tree dances and it's got little callbacks and kind yeah. of shows where the guardians are as a team now but yeah the the original one the come and get your love yeah the first one just and then it just it, it gets used so well in any it's just well. like a wow nothing <laughs> nothing beats quill yelling into the little rat thing <laughs> singing come and get your love like come on like saying hey yeah, <laughs> i'll throw you a bone and that i'll say that objectively i think you're right because i'll think a lot of a lot of it comes from I like this movie so much that when I am watching that opening sequence, it's not just how well the song is working. It's not just how great a song I think that is and just how upbeat and happy it is. It's the smile on my face is partly this is a great scene and partly I'm excited because I'm watching this movie again. So I'll admit that some of it's a little more personal and less objectively it's being used better in this movie. Yeah, that song... uh... Uh, Mr. Blue Sky by mm-hmm. ELO has always been one of those songs for me that if I listened to it, it made me smile. Yes. And, and then I started working in a store where that song was part of the oh, loop. No. And it almost <laughs> ruined the song for me. Oh, no. And not only was that, but. Like, 
Yeah. Go, Herbie, go! <laughs> and then this movie came out and saved guy. the song. Like, like this movie, like Baby Groot saved the song for me. So now it makes me happy again. <laughs> so. so with control of his new arrow, Yondu breaks out and kills all the traitors. Taserface is blown up when Yandu destroys the ship's engine, but not before giving the Sovereign the location of the Guardians. And the Sovereign the four disengage, name, <laughs> uh, The four disengage an escape pod and make for Ego to rescue Quill. Yandu explains he, him, he sees himself in Rocket, pushing people away because he's afraid of them getting close. Even admits he himself was sold into slavery and explains that Ego is dangerous. So while Gamora is sulking in a field, Nebula, arri- Nebula arrives and tries to kill her. They've got a fun little fight scene between the two of them. Um, Nebby explains that all she ever wanted was a sister and Gomorrah would never let her win. Gomorrah realizes, declares Nebula the winner, and the two reach a truce. Um, characters in this movie, some would have the opinion um, <laughs> that they reflect on the, the, the impacts of their loved ones and um, they, 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 tend, they try to improve in this movie. I would say some more than others. Uh, Robbie, you're you're one of those people that feels this way. I I, I do agree some more than others. Um, I think the way this podcast has gone, this is mostly just going to be my last ditch effort at explaining how this hits me. And I there's two aspects of the characters. There's the the this movie is about family aspect that I know the other right person on this podcast is going to get into, so I'll leave that alone. <laughs> and I'll just Thank get you. into that this movie just I, the character arcs and the way it handles real relatable emotion to me just does something that the rest of the MCU doesn't and this is this is stuff that I did get the first time but in a lot of MCU movies you do have one character who has a compelling arc and this one's somehow juggled several with crazily compelling arcs to me and they're done so they're done they're done in a way that's really interesting because it, it's i am not a cyborg that was turned into a cyborg by my angry you know uh dictator uh warlord father and yet the the nebula and the um gamora dynamic is just so interesting to me and just how much of this film is having to just address why you hurt the people you love and start to own up to it and the fact that they're all flawed they do not necessarily get perfect redemption. They have to deal with consequences of their actions. I actually like, like one of the little things I like is uh, Peter Quill is an asshole. Now he's an asshole partly because of the conditions he was raised in. Um, He's an asshole partly because of being, you know, a toxic white male. Um, But he's, I'm, I'm interested in Peter Quill, not because I like him, but because I don't like him and the movie doesn't try to make me like him, the movie doesn't reward him with the girl at the end. Like there is, they have a strong relationship. They are building their strong relationship. But at the end of this movie, we don't get a nice neat bow that, Hey, Gamora and Quill. Yay. Congratulations, Peter Quill. You won the girl. There, there is still some, some issues between them. They've got to work on. And I love that. And I love that he's not rewarded. Um, the I, I think something that's done that's very strong is the displacement of anger from abused children to you know other members of the family which i think is a very not having been an abused child but is a very real thing which is displacing that anger on other members um 
and that's what's going on with Nebula and not to infringe on Chris too much, but that's what's going on between Nebula and Gamora. And I find that incredibly compelling and, and incredibly um, convincing on that emotional front. Um, and Rocket, like Rocket, his whole thing is this fear of condescension is this thinking that everyone thinks the worst of him just just goes ahead and i know people like this so well that are not cartoon raccoons um that that his fear is condescension his fear is people thinking the worst of him and he just heads them off at the past and pushes them away and i just it's the fact that a superhero movie had emotion like that is what i think is fantastic and the fact that they are flawed but they all the flaws are all explored as the film goes on and how they are hurting the people around them is handled in the film without necessarily nice Hollywood conclusions is I just, I love it so much and it makes me love it more each time. And it's, it's emotion that I didn't think I would get in a superhero movie and I'm happy it exists. And James Gunn makes gross jokes, but I'm happy he wrote this film. And that's what I've got and to say about that. I think that's an, just uh, we'll probably talk about more about this in a few years when we do our Guardians Volume 3 episode <laughs> uh, and we finally get into the James Gunn fired, rehired thing. Um, but these movies have always felt very personal, I think. Yes. And it comes across because these movies are about, you know, immature yes. people learning how to be better. Right. And I think that he kind of lived that, and I think he poured that into these movies. And that's why I'm really fascinated now to see what... Yeah. I'm sure that Guardians 3 will uh, will be a little bit different than the script he had before he was fired and then rehired. Yeah. Because I'm sure that that will inform the story he's telling. And hell, I'm interested in seeing The Suicide Squad right. now, just because he's doing it. And mm -hmm. I'm sure that that, you know... The, the, I think he's got a lot to say, and I and I think it's, you know, him saying, "Hey, you know, look, I, you know, I was immature. I was trying to, you know, be cool and tough and edgy, and and I think these movies are kind of about people like that, right? You know, learning to accept the the good and the bad right. of being." emotional human beings right the first movie was bad people made bad by by their condition um you know nature versus nurture improving when they found friends and this is them improving through realizing they still hurt their friends or as drax puts it at this point their family um which again we'll we'll, we'll bring up on another point um and I just, like you said, intensely personal, that's part of it. I was not an abused child. I don't have a terrible relationship with my yeah, siblings. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the things I have seen happen um, to people I've been close with. And when you're close to someone, you can start to see that stuff. And, mm -hmm. um, oh, and the part where the fact that Quill doesn't open, didn't open his last present in the last film. And I think his guilt over how he handled the loss of his mother carries over into this film. Um, and that's one I can completely relate to. Um, I, for a long time, had a Christmas present from a friend I lost that I didn't open because that was the last thing that person had given me. And that's something I intensely relate to from these films. And that that personal thing, I think, that you said is um, fantastic. And I also want to make sure that I'm citing my sources. Um, not everything is 
uh, just coming from the top of my own head because uh, there is a YouTube out there um, by YouTuber Lindsay Ellis on the emotions of um, of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and a lot of what she said just put into words what I felt and I have absolutely parroted some of the things she said on this podcast and I want to make sure I give a shout out for her video because it's fantastic. Um, but there we go. I feel mildly raw now. You guys can rebut. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to rebut with you. Mostly because you told me that my point that is direct rebuttal <laughs> is carefully meticulously yeah. placed. Yeah, in all honesty, a lot of in all honesty, a lot of it's coming up. Both things that I know all three of you are going to say to this point are coming up. So, and I'm and I'm hoping you don't rebut to me now that I'm not rebutting. No, I feel to like you. I feel like I just shot my last uh, ammunition for the rest of the episode. So. Let me ask a rhetorical mm-hmm. question and then we'll move on. Robbie, you, you, besides that last point, you talked a lot about these characters that you don't necessarily relate with, but you feel compelled by, and all these situations that you don't find yourself in that you feel compelled by and that you really enjoy, that you can put yourself in their shoes. And yet, when we get a couple episodes later... You can't really put yourself in the shoes of the characters in Black Panther. I have Panther. yet to say you're it's wrong. It's a rhetorical. I've yet to say you're wrong. It's a re- <laughs> it's a rhetorical question, and we will cover this on the. But start to think about it. Start to think about why these characters, for some reason, you can just put your shoes in, but you can't put yourself in the shoes of those characters. Because he wears boots, not shoes. Spoiler: what are My those? problems I don't know. with that movie yeah. are not Spoilers. the story of that movie. Or the characters of that movie. It has to do with him yeah, wearing boots. It. <laughs> it's the boots. Um, so Gamora and Nebula explore the caverns beneath Ego's planet and discover hundreds of skeletal remains. Nebula says that they have got to get off the planet and go search for Drax. Meanwhile, Ego reveals his master plan to Quill. He traveled the universe and finding the life forms he found disappointing. He planted seedlings on thousands of worlds that would terraform them into new extensions of Ego. He needed a second celestial power to activate the seedlings, so he conceived children with hundreds of, I won't say women, because they didn't necessarily, they're aliens, we don't know if they're women, uh, hundreds of beings all across the galaxy and hired Yondu to collect them. He Every other the shit out of him. Yeah. yeah, he really did. Every other child was killed when they proved unable to access celestial power, but Quill can harness the power. It's also important to note here that Yondu delivered a lot of these other children as well. And he kept Quill. Um, Quill is hypnotized by Ego's power until Ego reveals he deliberately caused the death of Quill's mother because he was addicted to visiting her, prompting Quill to snap out of it and fight back. It's it. We get the reveal. We get the big reveal of the whole movie. Ego was the villain. You could kind of see it coming, but you didn't see it coming that he put the tumor in her mom's head. Oh, yeah. We've got it. It's so, it's, it's so big. It's climactic. Can I just make a quick point about what you said about the tumor thing? You guys know my wife, and you know that she knows every single plot point long before it happens. Let me tell you, when we sat in the movie, and he said it broke my heart to put that tumor in my head, she gasped so loudly it echoed across the theater. Wow. She didn't catch it. (laughs) That's amazing. Whoa. That's exciting. I was building up to a point, but... (laughs) So we get to the climax of this movie. We finally get it. And then there is still another 45 minutes of this movie. 
two of you aren't going to agree with me on this, but this movie goes on so long. There are so many action sequences and extra little things, and it just goes on. Just, just to me, you could have cut that that giant chunk, forty five minutes, in half, and it would have probably been like closer to what I would think is perfect. But does this movie need to be two hours and twenty minutes long? I don't think so. I think the movie tends to drag. Once you get to the end, I started feeling some fatigue. I was like, man, this movie's still going on. This is like, like, can they not just like get the thing done? Like we've and the part of it, the part of the problem is that the big reveal happens here, and it's not something that it's. It, to me, it doesn't feel very developed. Like, we get to this point so quickly. We're there, we're at Ego's planet, people start to think things are weird, we go to a different planet, and then once we resume this storyline, we're like, oh, right, Ego's bad. And then there's the climax of the movie. Part of the problem is there, there are so many intersecting storylines happening all at one time that this particular one, which in my opinion is supposed to be the big, like the big drop for the movie, doesn't have enough time to cook before it's revealed. And so you have to do a lot of that stuff post the reveal, which makes it less powerful. And I will piggyback on that by saying, and I'm not saying I didn't enjoy some of the scenes in the 45 minutes post reveal, (laughs) but yeah, like they go on a little long. Like we've already had a thousand jokes in the movie. Why do we have to have five minutes of Rocket explaining how to use the detonator to Groot and then another four minutes of Peter flying around the battlefield asking people if they have tape? And, like, that's obviously hyperbole for how long those took, but it's, like, a big contributor to how much time was going on. And, yes, this movie is not realistic. So when I say this is unrealistic, know that I don't mean it as in, man... There's planets that are people, and I'm bothered by that. Mm-hmm. What I'm bothered by is that he is the whole planet, and there are people running around inside of him, <laughs> and he doesn't just fucking crush them. Why would he let them roam around? Why would they have time to teach Groot how to successfully use the detonator, and Star-Lord goes around and asks people for tape? and all the other stuff that happens like he he's in his like you know human form or whatever but he is the planet he's ego the living planet so it's just kind of weird that this the scenes drag on because he could just end it he could end everyone but quill and then be like hey guess what son you don't have friends anymore so you might as well be evil with me I'm not, in this case, I'm not actually going to say you're wrong. It just felt to me, even from first viewing, I just accepted it as, and, and it's kind of from, it comes a lot of from when Mantis does the whole he's here thing and then he starts showing up that like he's not necessarily 100% omnipotent and in complete control of what's happening. Um, that there is some limit to where he can move his matter and where he can, what he can be aware of. Um, and maybe that's not spelled out well enough. I can, if you, if you didn't get that take, then in this case, I don't actually think you were dumb and not paying attention. I think you may have a good point. Just one that didn't affect me the same way. Um, I don't have a major rebuttal for all of this. Uh, what I will just say, since this is mostly, um, entirely personal preference, I will just say first, 
I did not mind all the endings of Return of the King. In fact, <laughs> in fact I thought Return of the King cut out too much at the end. So that's a so hot take. My opinion, my opinion is quite possibly invalid. <laughs> what I will also yeah. say. <laughs> no, go ahead. No, 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 no. What were you going to say to that one? I was, I was going to like finish out the point. So add something to it. Oh, oh. My second is just, I genuinely did not believe Eduardo when he, when I was working on the notes, he said, why is there 45 minutes left? I opened the movie again to check thinking that's nonsense, Eduardo. And I'm going to math your nonsense out of this podcast. And now nah, he's right. <laughs> um, so, but what that says to me, you know, thinking this movie is great is that I didn't notice it moved at a pace to me that I liked. It felt like it kept moving and I was engaged in what was happening. So I noticed. again, you are technically correct, which is the best. The best kind of correct. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, obviously, I, I don't know. I didn't feel that way. Um, that said, bringing up the fact that the reveal happens like real fast, and then we just get to climax. I buy. I just don't think the climax is too long. I do buy that it feels like not much happens, and then we just hey, ego's bad guy, go to core. That does feel more like. Again, going back to using realistic in a different sense, that does feel more realistic to what a villain should do in a I movie. I agree. Mm-hmm. Like, villains often will start revealing that they're a villain or they'll, like, explain their master plan to everybody. And if that kind of right. thing was happening in the real world, people would keep their damn mouth shut either all the time or until the last possible moment. I think that brings a more realistic approach to what a villain should do where he just tells peter and he just tells peter after he has him semi mind controlled well it's actually not semi it's fully mind controlled until (laughs) he mentions the tumor thing and then peter snaps out of it but again right because there's 45 minutes of movie but there's a way to play that i would have loved to see Peter and the Guardians arguing about his dad. We saw it a little bit when he and him and Gamora, right? They're talking and she, you know, um, she doesn't think he's a good dude. Um, but I would have loved to see that continue to be explained until we get the reveal. And that's what snaps him out of the hypnotism. And we, that could have stretched another 20 minutes. We could have had that. There could have even been like a fight between... Ooh, um, three hour w- Guardians too. I like it. <laughs> well, no, we, we're cutting out, Stop we're it. replacing 20 minutes with this interaction and no, it could have been not, you're not taking anything out we're replacing the no, search the, for tape. you can take out <laughs> scat jokes uh i just think that there's 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 a world in which they they time this a little better i don't think it's wrong to think that in a movie typically the the villain needs to uh right reveal what he's doing and kind of reveal himself in a particular point right but if the central plot and the kind of the big reveal of the movie is is what is happening when he reveals himself as the villain then i think that should be timed better give chris a chance to agree with me i i'm just trying to think of i don't know how i could change it though because within that 45 minutes we get the resolutions of all the character arcs all the emotional plot lines that have been like running through this movie and i just I don't know of a way to bring the characters together before the ego, before ego goes bad. I don't know of a, of a way to bring those characters together and then still use that as the way to wrap up all those storylines. Yes. I know how you do it. 
you retro you you retroactively make 45 minutes after the climax make sense to be 45 minutes of movie after the climax by cutting out 30 minutes of unnecessary joking in the first hour and a half of the movie. Booyah! <laughs> that's not really a booyah because it didn't really affect you guys. But that's that's one way you could do it. You could take out some of the unnecessary jokes in the beginning. And by the way, I'm not like... I'm not like trying to stab the tape scene with a stake. Like I don't mm. think it's a vampire. Yeah. It's just the example that I used. So don't don't y'all go getting on like Peaches hates cheese thing where I one time said cheese isn't necessary on Subway sandwiches. I think about it like, every day. He doesn't like cheese. Anyway, I don't, di- I don't disagree with that, but I'm also lactose intolerant. Mm. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> My opinions on cheese aren't really that. Chris, important. what are your opinions on cheese? I like it. Okay. <laughs> Tell that cheese hello. <laughs> hey everyone, Soundlord here. Apparently we had a lot to say about this movie, as we're only about halfway through the episode. So, we're splitting it into two. Uh, tune in next week to find out if Robbie and I were able to change Eduardo and Peach's minds. Uh, in the meantime, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at AssemblyCast. Email us at AssemblyRequiredCast at gmail.com. Follow Eduardo on Twitter at ABCDEduardo1. Peaches at D underscore Peaches. Robbie at PhilKid3. And me at GatorSax2010. So until next week, thanks for listening and... uh I, uh, I guess I have to do everybody's, so, uh, we love you 3000, Excelsior, Hell Hydra, boobly boobly. So Gamora starts. Oh, hey, to hey, talk I think we might have lost Peaches. Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah. Oh my god. Um I'm right I'm That's fine. Now we outnumber Eduardo. <laughs> <laughs>